Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 26. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. You know that Matthew 26 and Matthew chapter 27 is the last week in the life of Jesus. These two chapters set the scene for the crucifixion. Now remember earlier in chapter 26, Jesus told his disciples that he would be crucified. That he was going to be crucified by the religious leaders and that they would deceitfully and deviously plot how they might take him and kill him. You remember that. And then Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. It was at that time that Judas Iscariot left the room. When Judas Iscariot left the room, Jesus and the other remaining 11 disciples, they had a worship time. They sang a song. I always like to think of Jesus as our worship leader. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing if Jesus was a worship leader? I mean, it's nice having Steve. (laughs) But, I mean, Jesus, Steve, Jesus, Steve, Jesus. If you agree, say amen. Steve, I love you. I don't even know if you're in here, but if not, thank you, Lord. And... uh, So he sang this song with the disciples, and and, and it was just beautiful. And it was at that time, after they sang the song, listen, that they too left the upper room, and they're headed toward the Mount of Olives. And while they're walking along, heading toward the Mount of Olives, Jesus and the 11 disciples, Jesus looks over to them and says, fellas, all of you are going to be made to stumble because of me. And it was at that time that boastful, confident Peter, self-confident Peter said, Oh, no, Lord, I will never be made to stumble because of you. Jesus, even if I have to die, I'll die with you, but I'll never turn my back on you, Jesus. Now, I can hear Peter saying, you know what, maybe the rest of those guys will, because they're kind of shady. But not me, Lord. Nope, not me. Nope, 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 not I. And last week, if you were with us, if you weren't, you might want to pick up the CD. We talked about the dangers of self-confidence. And we talked about the fact that self-confidence leads to arguing with the word of God. Did y'all get that? Jesus is telling them, listen, you guys are going to stumble because of me. And Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, no, we won't. No, I won't. Hello? Uh, Who's God here? Peter's like, Jesus like, yes, you will. Peter's like, no, we won't. I wonder if they went back and forth. Yes, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. No, I won't. Yes, you will. Don't argue.
argue with God's word. You know why? Because that's self-confidence. The Bible says put no confidence in the flesh. I'm not going to preach that sermon again. I want to, but I'll resist. Don't argue with God's word. Self-confidence leads to number one, arguing with God's word. Talked about last week. Self-confidence also leads to, secondly, disobeying God's word. Of course, when you argue with God's word, the next thing is what? You'll start disobeying God's word. And then finally, we talked about getting ahead of God's word. All of these things are dangers, dangers, dangers. And self-confidence is not a good thing this morning. In Matthew chapter 26, saints, we'll pick up our study in verse 57. If you're with me, say amen. And those who had laid hold of Jesus, okay, so they, Peter's arguing. He took the sword and cut off the Malchus ear. Jesus said, Peter, put your sword away. Put that sword away. I got angels, they could help me if I needed them. Then all the disciples in verse 56, they forsook him and they fled away. Then in verse 57, those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, underline that, Caiaphas the high priest where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him, would you highlight this, at a distance. He followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and he sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council, they sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. And even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward, and this is what they lied about. They said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Of course he said that. But he didn't say it in that context. He wasn't saying, I'm going to destroy the temple. Blow up the temple. Terrorize the temple. He said, destroy this temple. He was talking about what? His body. He says, and in three days, talking about the resurrection, I'll raise it up again. But you know, when folks want to lie, they take the truth and twist it and make it sound like a lie. You see what they're doing here? And so then in verse 62, the high priest arose and he said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, it's as you said, nevertheless, I say to you in verse 64, hereafter, very fascinating verse, hereafter, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes, saying he has spoken blasphemy. What further do we need? Do we have witnesses or need to have witnesses? He's already blasphemed. Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. And what do you think in verse 66? And they answered and they said, all of them agreed, he's deserving of death. And then in verse 67, how gross is this? They spat in his face and they beat him. And others struck him with the palm of their hand saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Now stop right there. Give me your attention. After Jesus was betrayed by Judas, and arrested by the Roman soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the day of his crucifixion, Jesus stood trial before the court of the Sanhedrin. The court of the Sanhedrin is the highest court in Israel. Now, a little bit of background on this court. The court of the Sanhedrin was established as Israel's Supreme Court 
sometime after the Babylonian captivity. The court of the Sanhedrin was made up of 71 men. 24 chief priests, 46 were chosen from the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and one member of the court was the high priest. Now, by the time we get to Jesus' day, the court was thoroughly corrupt and political. The Pharisees were the conservatives. They were conservative people, conservative group. And they were always at war with the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees were the liberals. And then you had Rome who was controlling the office of the high priest. Now understand something, get this. You have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and you've got the Romans who are controlling the high priest. None of these guys get along. Pharisees don't like Sadducees. Sadducees don't like Pharisees. And none of them like Rome, but it was a political situation. Don't you find it interesting that although the, you have these opposing groups who do not like each other, who do not get along, who do not agree on many, many things, and yet we find that they're able to agree on one simple thing, and that is their hatred for Jesus. Isn't that interesting to you? They don't agree on anything else, but they can all get along when it comes to their hatred for Jesus Christ. Don't you know there's nothing new under the sun? Don't you know that even in your office place, you know, you'll have people who don't get along, but just because you claim to be a Christian, you know, they, they don't get along. They backstab each other and they talk about each other. But, but just because you're a Christian, they can certainly agree to begin to talk about you. Well, they don't like you just because you named the name of Christ. It's amazing in the world that we live in today that everything is about tolerance. We can tolerate anything as long as it's not Christian. You can sit out on the lawn during lunchtime at your workplace or maybe even in the cafeteria, sit in the lotus position and study your navel. <laughs> Nobody will have a word to say. This is not a problem. But as soon as you crack your Bible, oh, now wait a minute now, the religious freaks are here. Well, what are you doing? I'm reading my Bible. Well, no, no, we can't do that here. Isn't it interesting? And here we have the same situation. You've got the Romans, you've got the Pharisees, you've got the Sadducees who do not get along, who do not like each other, and yet they all come into agreement for their hatred of Jesus Christ, and they wanted to kill him. And so they take Jesus before this kangaroo court. It's an illegal court. It's an unjust court. And it is illegal, kangaroo, and unjust for many reasons. Taking notes, number one, this is an unjust court because they are holding the trial at night. According to Jewish law, all trials must begin and end in daylight. So here we have, they have this illegal trial and they're holding it at night. Now you want to understand something here. Here in verse 57, Jesus is standing before Caiaphas. But what we have to do is put the gospels together and we find out from Mark and we find out from John that just before Jesus stood before Caiaphas, he stood before a man named Annas. Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, Caiaphas and Annas is the ex-high priest and the power behind the throne. 
Therefore, Caiaphas is a puppet. And Annas is pulling the strings. Annas made a lot of money because Annas ran a religious racket in the temple. Annas is the guy who gave license to the money changers in the temple who exchanged Roman money for temple money at a high interest rate. Annas was behind that. Annas had hired, did you know, Annas hired these crooked priests to be in the temple and they were selling pre-certified sacrificial lambs for a really high price. Annas was more like a mafia don. Annas was more like a mob boss. I mean, people would come from around the world with their sacrifice, with their little lamb, because it's that time of year to offer your lamb. And people with painstaking detail would choose and select the lamb according to the law. And they travel a long distance carrying their little lamby. And they get to the temple believing that they have this spotless lamb required by the law. They get to the temple and they give it to the priest so that it can be offered in behalf of their family. And remember, there's a racket going on. And the priest would take the lamb from the family and he'd look at it. Oh, oh, you know, check the eyes, check the tongue, open the mouth, check all under. He goes... Oh, yeah, oh, oh, well, I, I see a little spot right there. You see that little spot? Look closer, look closer. You see a little spot? And the, the family going, no, I don't see it. Yeah, but it's there, it's there. Trust me, trust me, it's there. He said, now, look, you can't offer this. Now, remember, these people traveled a long way. They can't go back home on foot and get another lamb. So he says, oh, well, there's a problem with this lamb, but let me tell you, we just happen to have one of these perfect sacrificial lambs available that you can purchase for a really high price. And people well, we can't go back home. Well, it's too long a drive to go back, too long a walk to go back home. My feet are killing me. Well, okay, we'll pay for it. And they paid a very high price, and Annas was getting the kickback from all of that. And so Annas wanted to get rid of Jesus. Why? Solely number one. You ready for this? Because Jesus was messing with his money. Same man saints. Folks get kind of crazy when you start messing with their money. Annas was no different. Now John chapter 18 verse 19 tells us that after Jesus was questioned by Annas and slapped around by his guards, Annas sent Jesus to Caiaphas, which brings us to verse 57 of Matthew chapter 26. If you're with me so far, say amen. So this was an unjust trial, number one, because they had it at night. Still taking notes? Number two was an unjust trial because of their false testimony. Again, in verse 60 through 61, notice the chief priest and the elders and the council sought false testimony. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they couldn't find one. In other words, people came up saying things that weren't believable. They couldn't find any really good liars. They couldn't find a credible witness. Mark chapter 14 verse 56 tells us that they couldn't even find people who would agree with each other on a lie. They couldn't. And then finally in verse 60, they found liars who could agree and they said, he said he was going to destroy the temple of God and build it up again. Again, he was talking about his body. But they have all these false witnesses trying to build a case against Jesus. Y'all still breathing? Say amen. 
And you know the interesting thing is, check this out. According to the law, the Jewish law, false witnesses were to be put to death. Now isn't that something? So this is an unjust trial because of their false testimony. Thirdly, it's an unjust trial because of the personal incrimination was unjust. Look at it again in verse 62 through 64. Jesus said nothing and Caiaphas got frustrated and said, what do you have to say for yourself? And notice Jesus kept silent. Doesn't that remind you of Isaiah 53 verse 7? He was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be sitting in this environment, and they would be questioning him, and he wouldn't say a word. Isaiah prophesied that would happen 700 years before it actually happened in Matthew 26, verse 62 through 64. God's word is so awesome. So awesome. Well, then Caiaphas said, listen, you're under oath. You are the Christ. Are you the Christ, the son of God? And I can bet that there was probably you could probably hear a pin drop when he said, are you the Christ? Are you the son of God? And you can probably hear a pin drop at that point. And Jesus would look around the room at the religious leaders. And it's a very tense moment. And they're waiting to hear what he has to say. And he said, you said it. Or, you got it, buddy. Roger Dodger. That's the way it is. Now, it's interesting because Jesus couldn't deny that he was the son of God. But get this. He couldn't explain it to them either. Why? Because the Bible says the natural man does not understand the things of the spirit. Do you know? Have you ever tried to witness to somebody and they just are not getting it? They don't understand. It's, it's, it's ooh, just me. I'm the only one that witnesses. All right. All right. God help me. Help this church. Help those people. Is there anyone that's ever witnessed to anybody and they don't get it? Okay. Thank you, Lord. And you're just like, man, don't you see this? This is clear. And the Bible says this and God's word is clear. And, and they're like, they just don't get it. Well, that's because the Bible says a natural man does not understand the things of the spirit. He can't know them. He doesn't have a capacity to understand spiritual things, saints. That's why you don't go to the world for counsel. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You don't go to the world for counsel because the world's going to give you worldly counsel because they don't understand the things of the spirit. So Jesus, if he were to try to explain it to them, they wouldn't get it. So Jesus just simply said, just as you say. And then he went on to say, look at it again in your Bibles. He went on to say, nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is fascinating because listen at this. Watch. Listen, Gee, what Jesus is doing here as he quotes this verse in verse 64, as he quotes it, Jesus is applying himself to two Old Testament prophecies in one statement. 
What Jesus did was he took the prophecy about himself in Psalm 110 verse 1, which says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So Jesus grabs that prophecy from Psalm 110.1, and then he grabs another prophecy from Daniel 7.13, which says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. Jesus takes these two prophecies and puts them together, predicting his resurrection, ascension, and his return in glory. Now search the scriptures, see if these things are so. Whenever Jesus dealt with Satan, the devil, or people acting or representing Satan, you know what he used to do battle? The word Jesus didn't get all, let me tell you something right now, devil. Oh, let me tell you something right now. Oh, don't make me, you don't want none of this. Oh, don't tell me, I won't say nothing. I'm going to tell you that and get out of here. I mean, you don't see none of that ever, ever, ever. What we do see when Jesus does battle with Satan or people who represent him, Jesus quotes the word. Jesus said to Satan three times, it's written. Turn the stone to bread. It's written. Look at the kingdoms. I give it to you. It's written. Throw yourself down. It's written. Using the word. How important it is for us to use the word of God. Amen, saints? To do battle. The personal incrimination was unjust. And then you're still with me? The verdict was unjust. Look at verse 65 through 66. Caiaphas tore his robe. Caiaphas tore his his robe when Jesus said, you said it. Now, in other words, Caiaphas understood that Jesus was saying, I am God. That's why he tore his robe. And get this, Leviticus chapter 21 verse 10 tells us that the high priest was forbidden to tear his robe. Are y'all getting this? In other words, the high priest is accusing Jesus of breaking the law, of blasphemy, and yet he himself is breaking the law because he's tearing his robe. Now, you've got to understand something. This priestly robe was a beautiful thing. It was sky blue, which was to remind them of heaven, the high priestly robe, sky blue, illegal to tear it. It's sky blue. It's beautiful. It's got the sashes around the waist. And then at the bottom of the robe, they had these pomegranates. And between each pomegranate was a gold bell. So all the way around the robe was a gold bell. This gold, these bells were to alert the people that the high priest was alive, that he was in the presence of God. You see, once a year, the high priest would take that sacrificial lamb. He would take the blood of the lamb. He would go into the courtyard, into the holy place, into the most holy place, which is beyond the veil of the temple where the mercy seat is and the Shekinah of glory of God. The presence, the visible presence of God was this cloud in the most holy place, the holies of holies also. Once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the high priest would go in and take the blood of the lamb representing the people and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. If the high priest were to go into the presence of the Lord and he wasn't sin free, 
In other words, he hadn't cleansed himself from his sin. He would die in the presence of the Lord. Now, before he went into the presence of the Lord, the high priest, the people would tie a rope around his leg. This rope would extend out of the most holy place, through the holy place, out into the courtyard and out to the people. So the people are standing there. This is once a year. The high priest goes in. The robe and the bells are ringing and they can hear and they're listening and they're listening. And he goes into that holy place and the most holy place and they're still listening for those bells ringing. And with the bells ringing, they knew he was alive. If they ceased to hear the bells ring, they knew that he died in the presence of the Lord. And because they could not go in and get him, they would pull him out with that rope. You understand? Say amen. They would pull. So they're pulling him out. They're, oh, man, we don't hear the bells. The man is dead. He's dead. And they would pull him out. And so this robe was a beautiful thing uh, as he represents the people. Now, if he would go into the presence of God and offer the blood of a lamb and, and God would accept that offering and he would come back out, he would stand before the people and he would say, forgiven. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.